Would you stand for the reading of God's word? This morning we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 through chapter 5, verse 9. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jonathan Anderson, and I've been here a couple of months now, and I'm the new director of adult discipleship here at Brentwood, and it's my my privilege and honor to be here today and to open up God's Word with you. And this holiday weekend, as I've seen kind of who's come in the door and who's not here, you know, I I can look around and you can see there's many differences among us. We have older adults, we have younger adults, we have people at different stages of life. I know in the room this morning we have people who vote different ways, people who believe different things. But this Labor Day weekend, I believe there's, there's one thing that we all have in common And that is because you're here, I know you do not have a lake house. We do not have lake houses or friends who invited us to their lake houses. And so we're here in worship. And I want to thank you for making worship a priority this Labor Day weekend. And if you are at your lake house or your beach house or somewhere more beautiful than this dreary day in Nashville, we want to welcome you online. And uh, we're continuing a sermon series today that Davis kicked off a few weeks ago called Deliverance, where we're looking at the story of the deliverance of God's people who were in slavery in Egypt. And Davis kicked it off a few weeks ago talking about how God heard the cries of the Israelites and he remembered them even when the Pharaoh forgot Joseph and all that he had done for the people. Then we looked at the story of the birth of Moses and how there was a group of women who were civilly disobedient and chose to honor and obey God above the state. Then last week, we looked at Moses' calling and commission of the burning bush and how God chose him to be the leader. And Davis talked about how God actually chooses all of us. He he wants to use all of us, and we all have a unique calling in our lives. And this morning, as we continue, I wanna talk with you about something that I was taught growing up in church that actually turned out not to be true. And that is this. It's a piece of wisdom that people used to say to me when maybe I was at a, a big life decision or trying to, choose where to go or what 
God was calling me to do. And the, the wisdom usually went something like this. Jonathan, if you're following God and you're living in obedience to him, then doors will open up. You'll have perfect peace about your decisions and things will go smoothly. And the opposite wisdom was sometimes given, but often implied. And that was that if you're having a difficult time, if doors seem to be closing and things are kind of rough and challenging, then you must not be doing what God wants you to do. Has anyone ever heard something like this? I mean, maybe when you were trying to figure out where to go to college or where to move next or a new season of life, you, you heard people say, well, you know what? If, it, if, if you don't have peace about it, it must not be of God or you know, if you're having difficulties in that relationship, then maybe you just need to cut it off. Maybe that's not what God is, is calling you to do. This is common wisdom in the church, particularly in the American church, because there is this subtle belief that a lot of us have that if we're following God and living in obedience to him, then everything in our life should go quickly, it should be easy and comfortable. But if you notice in the the text we just read this morning, we see almost the exact opposite of these things, even while Moses is living in obedience to God's calling upon his life. Last week, Davis, when he was kind of recapping Moses' call story, he talked about how Moses offered many excuses when God called him into ministry. And, and they, were great, they were great excuses that he had, but after a meeting with God, a conversation with God, and then God sending Aaron into his life to help him, Moses said, you know what, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And so Aaron and Moses got together, the leaders of Israel, and they said, look, we're gonna go to Pharaoh. God told us, declare, let my people go. It's gonna be great. God has heard your cries. And, and the Bible says that all of the Israelite leaders, they, they bowed down and they worshiped. They believed. They believed that God had heard their cries and that he was finally going to do something about their misery. And we have this beautiful image of God's people gathered together in unity and prayer and worship. And it's almost like there's a spirit of excitement. And so you can imagine Moses being fired up after this encounter of everybody worshiping together. And he goes to Pharaoh, the most powerful man around. And, and you can see the little staff in his hand and he sets it down and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And the text doesn't tell us whether Pharaoh laughed at this moment, but it does tell us that he said this. He replied to Moses and Aaron, he, he said, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And this question that Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? Who is the God of Israel? This is perhaps the central question that the book of Exodus helps answer. Because as we continue throughout the story, we're gonna find that, that Pharaoh discovers who the Lord is. Moses discovers more about who the Lord is, and so do the Israelites. But at this point, they don't have a full understanding. They're still learning uh, about God's character, God's nature, God's heart. And, and spoiler alert, at the end of the book, God is revealed as a deliverer, one who hears the cries of his people, one who sees their needs and does something about it. But at this point, they're still learning. They'll st they're still figuring it out. And what Pharaoh does next makes Moses and the Israelites question the character of God and, and the Lord that they thought they knew. Because Pharaoh, like the, the authoritarian leader that he is, he, he doesn't just say, no, you can't go. 
He takes it a step further. He says, look, if you have the audacity to come to me, one who is viewed as a God, and say you want to take a break from work and go worship your God, no way. No way you're going to do that. And not only are you not going to do that, I'm going to make life even more difficult for you. And so not only are you going to have to make bricks, but at that time they were providing the straw to the Israelites for the bricks. Now you're going to have to go collect your own straw. You're going to have to continue all the quotas that you've been meeting. And soon the Israelites figure out that this is basically an impossible task. And they're angry. They're angry and Pharaoh's decree perfectly serves his purposes because the people begin to be divided. They begin to fight with one another. And the Israelites, they go to Moses and Aaron and they say, you know what? We want God to judge you. We can't even believe that we let you lead us. And now our life is even more miserable than it was before. And Moses and Aaron, I mean, they're kind of angry at this turn of events as well. Because I think all of them collectively thought that when God gave them this call upon their lives and when they were being obedient to it, that things were gonna go quickly. But things don't go quickly. Instead, because of Pharaoh's hardened heart, things actually go quite slowly. They thought, you know what? Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go and it's gonna be easy. But things weren't easy. Their journey requires perseverance, patience, boldness, courage. I think at a level they thought it was gonna be kind of comfortable. They were just gonna go, say their thing, go on their journey, walk into freedom. But what we're gonna find throughout the book of Exodus is that their journey isn't comfortable And along the way, a lot of times they ask, is this even worth it? Is it even worth following God in the midst of the difficulties that we're experiencing? You see, deliverance was different than what they expected. Deliverance was different than what they expected, and it led them to disappointment and anger. And when we zoom out here and look beyond God's work of deliverance for the people of Israel and look at his son, Jesus Christ, and and the work of deliverance that Jesus did for all people, we see the same thing, that deliverance was different than what people expected. Jesus, think about it, when he was born, he didn't go straight from the manger to the cross into the empty tomb. Instead, he labored in obscurity for 30 years, and a lot of us today would say, what a waste of 30 years of Jesus's life. He should have been doing more miracles and healing more people. We could have had more teachings, but that was God's desire. And then when Jesus began his public ministry, you know that it wasn't easy for him. People were always coming against him, trying to trap him, trying to trick him, ultimately trying to kill him. And it wasn't comfortable for Jesus to be obedient to God's calling upon his life. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he cries out, it wasn't comfortable because deliverance was tied to his death. And all along the way, the disciples and other people were were getting angry and frustrated with Jesus because deliverance was different than they expected. But throughout his ministry, Jesus, he was constantly telling them, look, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're going to have difficulties as you go and you proclaim the good news of deliverance for all people. And that's what we find. Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts. Paul constantly had opposition. They had difficulties. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did the early church continue to press forward even when things were hard? even when they were suffering? And I think the answer is what enabled them to press forward was resurrection power. Resurrection power, you see, they knew the truth that the the late theologian Frederick Buechner put this way. He said, resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. 
And they knew this to be true because they had seen Jesus resurrected with his nail-scarred hands. They knew that, that death wasn't the end for him, that he had risen from the grave. They looked at the cross and saw that it had been transformed from this instrument of, of torture to an instrument of their salvation. They had seen God redeem difficult situations and they knew that even if they suffered temporarily on earth, they were going to live eternally with God. And so resurrection power enabled them to press forward even when things were hard. But we have to ask the question, what about Moses? Moses didn't know about the resurrection at this point in his life. He hadn't even seen God follow through on his promises to deliver his people. So what enabled Moses to continue going forward even when he faced difficulties and challenges? And I think the answer is in Exodus chapter five, verses 22 to 23. The New International Version puts it this way. After all this drama and all the complaints and the Israelites being angry at him, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you have sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. And I think the fact, or the reality that kept Moses going is the, is the fact that he returned. He returned to the Lord even when things were difficult. And if you notice here, when he returned, he, he doesn't say nice things to God. Actually, he's quite angry with God. He lodges a lot of complaints against God, but one commentator Terence Freetham says about these verses that, that we need to see that God, when Moses comes at him, returns to him and is honest with him, God doesn't rebuke Moses. God takes Moses' words for what they are. They're complaints. They're complaints about a difficult time in life. And what we find at the end of chapter five and throughout chapter six, God doing is when Moses returns, God reassures him. God reassures him that he has heard the cries of his people that he will deliver them. And God reassures Moses that he is the one for the job. And so perhaps you haven't had this experience yet, but I'll just go ahead and let you know ahead of time that there are going to be times in your life when you're following Jesus, when you're going where he wants you to go, you're doing what he wants you to do, and things will be difficult. They won't always be easy. They're not gonna always be comfortable. And there might be times where you're tempted to say, God, is it even worth it? And during those times, I want you to remember, like Moses, to return. Return to the Lord. Tell God what's on your heart. Tell God your complaints. Complain about the difficulties. Pour out everything to God because God is big enough to handle whatever you throw at him. And as you do in exchange, what, what God will give you is his reassurance. His reassurance and his resurrection power. And this week, I, I got to be in a room with uh, about 100 people who throughout the last few years have faced some, some difficult times. And it was actually a room full of pastors, all from the Nashville area. Pastors of large churches, small churches, some of the biggest churches in town and some of the tiniest churches in town, all generations. And, 
And we were all there acknowledging and, and learning about and talking about the difficulties that, that have taken place in the church because of COVID and all sorts of other things. And we were coming in, in conversation together. And there, uh, the Barna group, which is one of the groups that had gotten us together, which does polling of Christians and non-Christians and pastors, uh, the Barna group put this data on the screen, and it was data that we already knew. It was about pastoral burnout. And the question they'd asked Protestant pastors was this, have you given real serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry within the last year? And in January 2021, so less than a year after the pandemic, 29% of pastors said, yes, I've considered quitting. And then if you, you look to March 2022, the red bars this year, 42% of pastors said, yes, I've given serious consideration to quitting being in full-time ministry. And around the, the tables, we weren't surprised at these statistics, and we talked about why they were, that a lot of us, when we got into ministry, we had hoped that things would be easier. We, we didn't sign up to pastor in a pandemic. We didn't want to make all these decisions about masks and stuff like that. But, but we said, hey, this is where we find ourselves. And the pastor that we had come together to listen to was a man named Glenn Packiam, and he was talking about resilience. And resilience, if you're not familiar with it, is a big buzzword these days, and it basically means how quickly you're able to bounce back from difficulties. How resilient are you? And there to the room of 100 people, many who are very tired, Glenn reminded us that the key to resilience, not just for pastors, but for all Christians who are facing difficulties and challenges in life, is to return. Return to our first love, Jesus Christ. Spend time with him. Walk with him. Draw near to him. And Glenn reminds us that as we do, he will give us reassurance. Reassurance of his resurrection power that the worst things we face in life are not the last thing. And when they put these statistics up, I mean, they weren't a surprise for me because I had talked to many of my friends and a lot of us were in the same boat. These were true for me. There were definitely times in the last few years where I contemplated quitting full-time ministry. Pastoring a church where people argue over masks and vaccines and elections and election results and denominational drama in the United Methodist Church, I mean, it's, it's been a little bit of a challenging time. But thankfully, as I, I, I talked to wise friends and returned to God and said, God, here, here, here are my complaints, here are my failures, here are my weaknesses, here are my fears, God reassured me. And I have this little, this little piece of purple paper that I, I keep in my office, uh, which is a, a little tangible sign of, of reassurance. And it's, it's a sheet of paper that one day when I was preaching, sometimes when you're, when you're preaching every week, you, one, you never know if anybody's listening or anybody cares about what you're saying. And, and so that day, at the end of the sermon, I said, hey, I want you to write a prayer to Jesus and answer this question. If Jesus were standing in front of you and said, what do you want me to do for you? What, what would you say? And so people wrote all, all sorts of prayers and turned them in. And that week I was, I was praying over them. I was interceding on behalf of the church and, and I came across this one. 
a young woman wrote this, Jesus, thank you for the sermon today. I understand now and I ask you to save me. I've separated from you and I need your saving, Lord. I'm ready to start over and start my journey with you. So thank you for opening my eyes this morning. And I can't wait to truly get to know you and you know me. And I've saved this sheet of paper in my office for difficult times. When it seems like maybe God's not at work or I can't see how what I'm doing in life is bearing any fruit. I save it because that day God reassured me and soon after I had the chance to baptize the young woman. And as I baptized her, God reminded me that he wasn't done with her. He wasn't done with me and this morning I wanna remind you that he's not done with any of you yet either. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.